Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about something that uh, you're hearing a lot about, but you're not going to hear a lot about um, this conversation. So uh, sexual harassment. Sexual harassment, uh, Harvey Weinstein, his women and more. That's the topic of today. And, you know, I, I know I probably do not have the... Um, Expected attitude. I don't know. Women are all expected to be uh, formidable feminists these days, and um, I, you know, I, I do not have such a an attitude of just kind of believing everybody who's coming forward and saying that you know someone who gave them a hug, or someone who, or like George Bush, who supposedly and and let's say he did it. He's not denying that he did it. You know, sitting in a wheelchair, tapping women when they were taking photos or whatever on the tush. I mean, seriously, George Bush, <laughs> you're going to put him in the same class as Harvey Weinstein? I don't think so. Well, here today as my guest is someone who's going to be able to shine a light on a lot of this um, from a lot of different viewpoints. I'm putting on my forensic psychiatrist hat today. I know you don't know quite what to expect, whether it's the forensic psychiatrist, the terrorist therapist, the uh, relationship expert or what, but today we're doing a uh, forensic psychiatrist in talking about this topic, and my guest is Aaron Filler. He is a triple threat. He's an MD, he's a PhD, and a JD. He's a leading attorney specializing in personal injury and founder of Tensor Law. He's also a neurosurgeon, neuroimaging specialist, inventor, author, evolutionary biologist, and neuroscientist. And he's the chief of neurosurgery for the Institute for Nerve Medicine and serves as clinical director for the Neuro- Neurography Institute. Um, not too much of an overachiever, are you, Dr. Filler? <laughs> no, not much at all. Not like yourself. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to put you on my couch, actually, to find <laughs> out what happened in your childhood that made you, well, obviously, you're a very brilliant man and all of the, to be able to do all of these things, so... I guess part of it is to not be bored, but clearly something happened in your childhood to make you this ambitious. I don't know. I mean, um, I think I just like to do interesting things. Uh huh. Well, one of the thing, interesting things that you have been doing, um, and now we're going to be talking, mo- well, actually we're going to be talking about, with your hat, mostly as, a, as an attorney, but also in a sense as um, a neurologist because of the case that you represented Paz de la Herta on, in addition to the Harvey Weinstein case. He, Aaron Filler represents Paz de la Herta, who you have probably heard of as being the number one, um, not necessarily the first, but the most credible accuser of Harvey Weinstein and the most likely one uh, on behalf of whom the NYPD or the DA are going to be able to arrest Harvey Weinstein because it's within the statute of limitations and because her story is incredibly credible. So um, he, um, Mr. What would you like me to call you, Aaron, Doctor Filler? What would you like me to call you today? <laughs> I guess it which depends on which hat I'm wearing as we talk. <laughs> well, so okay. I guess you can call me you can call me Mr. Filler because okay. 
course, I also have my full set of surgical credentials in the UK, and in England, surgeons are called Mr. rather than Doctor, so I'll be okay. Yes. Okay, okay, so we're covering both <laughs> that way. All right, Mr. Filler represents Paz uh, on litigation against Lionsgate. We're going to be talking about that as well. Uh, he's here to talk about her case. He also worked with uh, Paz de la Herta and represented her in civil and criminal legal responses in her Weinstein rape allegations. Although for the time being, her representation has now been transferred to a New York attorney specializing in victims' rights. We will see. <laughs> we will see how long, uh, whether that goes the distance. But hopefully, and um, I'm certainly behind pause going the distance, because in my mind, um, in whatever context I have had with her, uh, there is no way that she would be coming out and saying this if it were not true. So why don't I give you the floor, Mr. Filler? Okay. Well, thanks very much for that uh, very nice intro. Um, and I'm really very uh, pleased to be able to participate in your show um, today. And um, by way of explanation um, to those uh, who may be listening, um, uh, I work with Carol um, in my attorney capacity um, where she is able to do some very helpful uh, expert witness work evaluating uh, clients that I have had, legal clients, um, where we need uh, understanding of issues that uh, go cross into psychology and psychiatry, such as a um, uh, patient with a uh, brain injury, and are they able to uh, give consent? Are they able to understand um, and make decisions um, at one extreme? Also, um, looking at and quantifying emotional distress. And really, that's the situation under which um, uh, Dr. Lieberman and I worked uh, with PAUSE um, and some teamwork on that. And, and really the issue was to do with the, the Lionsgate case, and we'll come back to, I'll come back to explaining a little bit about that case. And uh, so the evaluation was really directed at um, uh, one, understanding um, the um, allegations and statements she had to make about the events that happened to her uh, that led to um, the filing of the Lionsgate matter. Um, and uh, this really gives um, both Carol and I a really uh, excellent perspective uh, with regard to the current uh, matter with Harvey Weinstein. And because in, in the course of uh, developing our um, uh, plans and um, testimony, uh, with rela- with regard to uh, Paz's uh, Lionsgate case, uh, we had an opportunity to look at a lot of the issues that will um, come into uh, evaluating Paz's testimony if the criminal case goes forward. So, um, the and then we have these two different matters, and we'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it clear so the audience doesn't. Uh, well, lose let me us just add this. because in case. You know, the Lionsgate matter, just to sort of give a, a quick little summary, and of course you'll get into it more later, but Paz de la Herta, in case you don't know, is a, is a, a very well-known um, actress, and she was in a movie that was produced by Lionsgate and was severely injured in that movie, um, physically and psychologically. So we'll talk about that later, but let's talk about the sexual harassment part. So um, 
I've been working with PAWS um, on the on that matter, the Lionsgate matter, as well as some other um, more uh, th- uh, movie business uh, work, such as uh, contracts for uh, film productions, uh, working out uh, disputes on movie set with artistic issues, etc. Uh, and shortly after the uh, New York Times report came out on October 5th, the report by Jody Cantor, uh, which uh, detailed uh, the way in which a series of uh, actresses had suffered assaults from Harvey Weinstein and then had been had accepted payments uh, to keep quiet. Uh, and by putting it all together and bringing it out, it, Jody Cantor has really launched this tidal wave of women coming forward. And uh, partly in response to that, pause, let me know, um, that uh, she had suffered a sexual assault uh, from Harvey and Harvey Weinstein, and was wondering what her course of action should be based on the details of this. Whether uh, she should uh, make a statement, whether uh, she should uh, pursue a lawsuit, uh, and even whether a criminal um, complaint would make sense. So uh, we. For immediately uh, focused on the issue of uh, corroboration, and that's one of the problems that Carol's already kind of alluded to. We have a lot of women that are able to um, now come out and articulate what happened to them, but often it's very hard to go back over time and find the proof other than just uh, someone having to say, I believe them, I don't believe them. And so, uh, And as we worked on this, it became clear there, were quite, there was quite a bit of helpful corroboration uh, that would uh, strengthen or back her up um, if there was a challenge to uh, what she was saying. So uh, she was interested in making a statement, and uh, by this time uh, we, were, uh, we were in contact with um, some of the media, um, uh, particularly Jody Cantor at the New York Times, and the New York Times was already getting quite a bit of pushback from their article. That is, there were threats for litigation against the reporters, against the newspaper, and they also were very anxious about um, corroboration for any uh, sexual assault that had been that was claimed. So uh, we worked hard on um, uh, identifying uh, evidence and supporting information, and uh, as that progressed, it became more clear that um, because of the particulars of her case and the corroboration that we had, that this did look like uh, what would be a, a solid uh, criminal case. It was also Paz's feeling that she didn't want to be seen to be coming out just for a, a civil, civil litigation to um, you know, get money from Harvey, but she really wanted justice, um, which is important to her. Uh, and that's another reason why uh, she was willing to consider um, making the criminal complaint. Um, and I think also um, she's, I think, a person who sees herself in that light as uh, being able to seek justice. And um, one of the things that I think is really important, and it's, it does go back to this separating the wheat from the chaff, um, you know, the people who are being called dearie. And, and I must say, I just want to, uh, I have done, I can't even count how many sexual harassment cases I have done 
both from the side of the alleged harasser and the side of the uh, plaintiff. And, you know, mostly it's been women plaintiffs, but there have been some men too. And, um, you know, to the point that there was a, a time when that was much more popular, uh, you know, I, I think you probably remember this too, is maybe like, I don't know, between five and ten years ago, there was a, a, an overabundance. Sexual harassment cases were coming out of my ears. And then, and then it kind of died down some. And now, of course, the floodgates are open. But I think it's really, and, and I want to say that in, in doing this work um, as a forensic psychiatrist for both sides, it is not 100% clear. It is not always that the uh, plaintiff, the person who, the, the alleged victim, is right. I mean, there really are cases when, um, let's just say women, there really are cases when women claim, and, when, uh, and I'm, trying, I'm going through this whole thing to make a distinction between what I'm going to talk about and Paz, who, um, who has a legitimate case. But there are, there are women, you know, I've come across examples where um, women will sometimes yell sexual harassment, anything, any kind of sexual harassment, and oftentimes what it turns out to be um, is that the woman has been uh, sexually abused as a, as a child, as a young child. And she uh, then projects the anger that she has towards the man who abused her as a child onto some man with power in her current life. And, and that's not to say that women who were sexually abused as children don't also sometimes get sexually harassed. So it's not mutually exclusive. But the other thing that I found is that um, a lot of times women, when it, you know, when it isn't actually sexual harassment, um, a lot of times women will be in consensual relationships with a man, and they, let's say the man is married, and the woman is waiting for the man, expecting the man to divorce his wife, and then they're going to live happily ever after. Or for whatever other reason, the relationship falls apart. All of a sudden... It's sexual harassment. She, it wasn't consensual. He had some kind of power over me, and um, you know, I, I, it, it was never consensual. And this is sexual harassment. Now, I mean, again, you know, there are there are many, many times when there actually is sexual harassment, and sometimes horrible sexual harassment, including rape. But but there are. It, it's not like people should just assume that because someone is coming out of the woodwork and saying that so-and-so, and of course in these cases, these the floodgates here, Harvey Weinstein, uh, Kevin Spacey, Roy Moore, Dustin Hoffman, Ben Affleck, uh, Louis C.K., Tom Sizemore, Oliver Stone, Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose, poor Charlie Rose. I mean, come on. Sylvester Stallone, John Conyers, um, Al Franken. I mean, you know, these are people who are well-known and, you know, whether it's Hollywood or Washington or... And um, so there's also, for some women, there's their 15 minutes of fame as being a motivation. Uh, the Me Too, Me Too, you know, that's the hashtag that's become associated with this floodgate. But it's also Me Too, look at me, I'm pretty too, and, and men can't um, take their hands, you know, keep their hands off of me because I'm just so sexually attractive. So all of these things do have to be weighed. It's not like a slam dunk just because someone says that somebody did something and the somethings that these people allegedly did, the harassers, are not all the same. 
And I just went through that whole thing because, well, first of all, because I think it's interesting. A lot of people don't know that. They just assume that if someone's saying that somebody sexually harassed them, that they did. But, um, but also I'm saying this to distinguish cases like Paz, um, where, there is, where, where we're talking about rape, and I'll let you, you know, be more descriptive, but, um, and, where, uh, and where there are things to back it up and, and so on. So there are all these different levels of sexual harassment, and it's not all equal. And that's one of the things that's, that's very unfortunate. It's almost being, because there are so many allegations against so many men every day, more and more men, um, it's, it's trivializing it. You know, it's, it's not um, giving enough credence to the people or recognizing that some people who were raped, for example, uh, suffered a lot more than people whose tush was padded. I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the um, so, so the, one of the, the features of the events that um, Paz experienced and described, which I think was particularly compelling uh, for the police and the district attorney in New York, um, was um, the setting in which. Um, her assault uh, occurred as compared to a kind of a common or repeated story we heard about Harvey Weinstein. And the, I mean, first we we have a background, and, and I want to follow up on the comments you were just making about motivations. Well, wait, extremes. Um, Mr. Philly, you know what? I don't know if you heard the music, but we unfortunately need to take a break. But we will leave people on a cliffhanger as to the difference between the setting <laughs> that Paz was in and so many of these other people. So we need to take a break. My guest is uh, Mr. Aaron Filler, who is also an MD, PhD, and, and JD. We're talking about sexual harassment, Harvey Weinstein, his women, his women, and more. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Here with me today is Mr. Aaron Filler. He is uh, an MD, a PhD, and a JD. He has his, uh, mostly his, uh, attorney hat on today as we talk about sexual harassment, Harvey Weinstein, his women and more, including, of course, Paz. And you've heard about what his connection to Paz is. I'm just, I was just thinking when they were giving out the telephone number, maybe, maybe Harvey will call. <laughs> uh, that would be interesting. Okay, so why don't we, you were right, um, you just started to tell us about, about Paz's uh, situation with Harvey being a little different than most of the others. Right, so... Um, you know, firstly, you know, broadly, you can contrast the, situ- the situation of many of the accusers in the Harvey Weinstein uh, situation versus the accusers in the Roy Moore situation, where um, at least notionally, everyone involved with Harvey Weinstein had this concern that if they came forward, there would be harm to their career. Um, on the other hand, if they... Um, were quiet and cooperated that there'd be a benefit to their career. Right. And um, which, which you can, gives you an understanding of why people weren't coming forward and what the pressures are against it on the Roy Moore side, although certainly the accusers are having their um, uh, truthfulness attacked or uh, their memories attacked. Uh, on the other hand, if they were politically involved in the Democratic Party, then it's all a big plus because they're helping to save the country from the Republicans. You know? so, <laughs> That's amazing, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so they may think. Um, so, but aside from, from that broader distinction, uh, the common theme we were hearing with the accusers in the Harvey Weinstein situation would be an actress who um, was uh, perhaps at the Independent Film Festival. They had a new movie coming out. They were trying to see if they could get another job going forward to the movie that they had just been a part of to get it picked up by a distributor. So there was something beneficial to gain. He meets up with them. They go to his hotel room. One expects that they've heard about Harvey. Um, they may think they can keep him under control, and there may be something beneficial. And then it, stri- it strikes them as not looking that great, and they want to back out and then um, end up feeling victimized or being uh, attacked. And this is what happens. But And I'm not um, meaning that description to in any way um, question their their um, uh, descriptions, but rather it's what does it look like in court? That is, mm-hmm. how do we make proof of this, either at a civil or criminal level? Proof that this was non-consensual and, at how, and to a point where a jury be, would be prepared to, for instance, convict for rape. Because um, the things that Harvey was, was doing in advance to protect himself, as far as I can see, um, was not only um, operating in that kind of situation, which gave him some deniability, but as we later learned, um, he would often make a point of being with his victim subsequent to the assault and getting their picture taken together. Mm. Because when, huh. the, um, when this whole scandal blew up in October, 
Harvey provided to the board of directors of, of the Weinstein Company photographs of all these accusers showing him with them, embracing them with a big smile after mm. the date of the accused mm. assault. And telling his board, look, I've got them all proven. They're all going to be proven consensual by these pictures. Mm. But once you get the modus operandi and you put it together with the tape we've all heard from, uh, many of us have heard from uh, Gutierrez, the actress, or the, the model in 2015, or The Wire, when uh, Harvey was trying to talk her into uh, mm-hmm. letting him into her room, um, you know, his explanations become less convincing. But so in Paz's situation, uh, firstly, she was at the height of her career, really, um, and not an ingenue just trying to get started. Um, let's, let's make it clear that you're talking about Paz now. Uh, now I'm back to Paz, yeah. So yeah. Paz was, at the time this occurred, um, she was, I mean, really the it girl. I mean, in a sense, she was had this successful um, HBO series she was a part of, working under Martin Scorsese, um, and um, photo shoots, magazine covers, um, one thing after another, almost on a daily or several times a day, invites to for this magazine and that magazine and to be to sponsor this and sponsor that. So really, um, I'm sure everyone uh, needs to look to get additional work and interesting and better work, but um, you know, she had less of a motive uh, to, to uh, want to be cooperative with with. Harvey, if he was misbehaving, mm-hmm. um, and additionally, um, uh, she had known him for a long time. That is, uh, she knew him from age fourteen when uh, she was a child actor in uh, Cider House Rules, where he was the producer, and was a neighbor of his um, in Tribeca. Uh, but so basically, the the Harvey Weinstein Company headquarters, his um, apartment. Her uh, place where she was living, they were all just within a few blocks of each other. So she would see him on the street, you know, the cafe or grocery store, um, and then um, ends up uh, uh, meeting him or running into him really at uh, this club. And he offers her a ride home. It's a few miles away from Tribeca. And he offers her a ride home and then starts talking his way into her apartment. The rape ensues. Um, and then he begins. Uh, stalking and calling her and saying, I'm waiting, in the, I'm in the lobby, I've got my car, you know, idling or parked out front, uh, when are you coming home? And um, really um, creating a very uh, frightening situation, which had a tremendous impact on her. And she then um, is at a photo shoot on the date of the second rape, and he calls and um, says, I'm not going to leave. I'm waiting here. And in your, in your um, law, apartment lobby, till you come back, I'm not going to leave. And she had, up till then, she tried staying late uh, wherever she was working, uh, not coming home, um, until he would give up and go away. But she comes home this time and tries to confront him and saying, look, you know, you're being a stalker. You're a rapist. Um, you're a creep. Um, you've got to stop. It has to stop. You need to stop calling me. You need to stop this. And uh, as we've heard in that uh, wire, uh, he's saying, look, we can talk about this. It would seem like, well, maybe you might think this, you know, this guy made a mistake or he got out of control, but he just wants to talk about what happened. And uh, she intended to um, bring him up to the hallway um, outside her apartment so they could talk, not in front of the doorman and all the people coming out, because 
it was uh, December 23rd, a very, very busy day. Everyone's carrying Christmas mm. trees in and out and all this. Um, mm. And um, uh, so, uh, and then he forced his way in the room and uh, with really significant, uh, with, with violence assaults her. And um, so the point is that that assault took place in the setting of her telling him to stop stalking her, which is very different from it turning into a rape while um, someone has come up to his room to meet with him. They think about something uh-huh. advantageous to their career um, because the police um, were, uh, the police, you know, went quite far with uh, Gutierrez in 2015 and the district attorney did not go forward. Uh, and the district attorney's statement is that they couldn't prove criminal intent and so uh, that's why this particular set of uh, circumstances suggests there was no mistake on mm. Harvey's uh, uh, part as to what the situation was. Um, he was being told that he was a stalker and a creep and a rapist and need to leave and stop harassing her. And he proceeds to um, carry out the rape in that setting. Um, so... Uh, it's more convincing that it's violent, and um, mm-hmm. the when you look at the, the setting that she describes it, uh, it's definitely one where criminal intent would be established if her story, um, if her story, uh, if an answer story is accepted by a jury. Uh huh. And you had mentioned um, to me before that uh, even her her doorman used to warn her, used to call her up to try to tell her, you know, when he was still in the lobby and not to come home and all that. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was communication um, uh, there as well. So, um, so I mean, there that are was, witnesses, so there's, some, yeah. you know, people who can confirm that. Yeah, so, and that, so those, that, that, all, that all helps, um, you know, show that something took place. It's not a fabricated incident. You can show them. Because uh, in fact, it turns out you can sh- the night of the first assault, you can we, there's photographs because she's one of, was one of the most photographed people in the world at the time. You can see her and Harvey photographed at the same time at the same club that they said she says they were at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a week later, there's one of those very awkward photos of him uh, with his arm around her and her looking very distressed. Mm. Um, a week afterwards, so it, it gets very easy to prove they were together. Something happened. Um, so then you really get down to uh, was there or was there not um, consent, which is really the problem you have in any kind of uh, acquaintance rape or assault, particularly when you're looking back over time because there's not going to be um, you know, skin under the fingernails, there's not going to be bruises, mm-hmm. and you're going to come down to this he says, she says, um, which is why um, I think Harvey's, uh, criminal attorney Benjamin Braffman just says there's not going to be an indictment. This isn't. This is not mm. going to happen. Well, also, isn't there the problem that the DA that Harvey contrib- has been contributing a lot of money to the DA's political campaigns? Yeah, I mean, and that's really shocking to me because, um, yeah, it's it's uh, twenty, thirty thousand dollars at least that we know of that Harvey Weinstein donated to Cyrus Vance, the district attorney, in order to help him get reelected. Um, and he, not only does um, Cyrus Vance or the district attorney's office, not only do they have to decide whether they have sufficient evidence to um, uh, indict, but uh, to bring it before a grand jury, but they get to decide 
what it is they're going to put before the grand jury. Mm. Um, there's a lot of control. And, and, of course, you want to take for granted that they want to win. They want to put this man in jail. But that's, you know, that's what you don't know. I mean, they, they know what they're doing. They're very experienced. You've got, um, you know, uh, more than one prosecutor involved. But still, that leaves me with a lingering concern, which is why um, you know, I took a very active role in doing the investigation, um, uh, giving you know information uh, to the district attorney and the police uh, at the same time, um, trying to work to protect uh, Paz's uh, privacy, because um, I think we're all familiar with the scenario that the, the the rapist tries to win by destroying the credibility of the accuser. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I mean, you've you've been through this scenario quite a bit on both sides, of course, Carol. So what what do you? How have you seen that play out? For you put yourself in the mind of the jury, looking at an accuser and um, in this type of situation and hearing the evidence. And I know you often participate on one side or the other, giving some of that evidence. What's your perspective? Well, um, you know, you know, you're right. Yes, the the person who's being accused does try to destroy their accuser. You know, find any kind of. Uh, anything they can about her um, and, you know, to try, try to make her look like the bad guy and, and make the jury forget about what he supposedly did. Um, but, you know, but I think what you said at the beginning about how uh, Paz didn't need, I mean, most of these women who are coming out against Harvey Weinstein really were ingenues or really were people who um, needed a lot of help in their career, you were more intimidated by him. I mean, every, I'm sure everybody's intimidated by, you know, he, he does have, he is one of the most, he was one of the most powerful men in the entertainment industry. So, you know, even if, you know, so when he says you'll never work in this town again, um, he does have the power to do that. But, uh, but Paz certainly, you know, as you said, was the it girl at the time. She wasn't sort of... Um, she wasn't as intimidated, and she wasn't looking to him. She didn't need him to bring her out of obscurity. So, the, you know, that's the kind of thing. She's also, um, she also doesn't need him, you know, part of another motivation, as I was kind of alluding to before, for women uh, when they pick on celebrities, Hollywood celebrities, uh, Washington, D.C. celebrities, besides getting their 15 minutes of fame, they're looking for hush money, they're looking for... Um, you know, money, winning, winning civil cases as well as, I mean, they're even more interested in civil cases than in criminal cases. Um, and so I think a lot of those things that kind of don't work or work against the women in other sexual harassment cases um, isn't, aren't as much of a problem in Paz's case. But, you know, I mean, so much these days, juries, um, it, it all really depends so much upon whatever experiences they have had, and yes, that's part of what voir dire is supposed to be, the time when, before the case starts, the uh, attorneys can ask questions of the jury and try to, you know, weed out people who might be biased one way or the other, but sometimes that's really hard to do. Uh, Of course, you could ask whether they were ever sexually harassed or what do they think about sexual harassment or, you know, but you try to, um, you try to, you know, there could, like in Paz's case, for example, you know, there could be, the, uh, you'd have to weed out women on the jury 
who would be jealous of her success. She's a beautiful woman. She's very successful. You know, even though some people might well believe her, um, then they have to fight against their own prejudice of being jealous. Well, like, what, what does she need to do this for? She's successful anyway. Or men on any of these sexual harassment uh, juries, when it's a man um, who's the alleged harasser, there's a kind of sense, on the one hand, some men are staunchly um, angry. They're angry that some man could do this to women. On the other hand, there are other men who, who say, oh, give him a pass. You know, what did he do? What was so bad about what he... Now, I don't think that would be the case with Paz, but I mean, I mean, rape is still pretty bad. But, you know, if it was something less, um, well, you know... And, and, you know, that kind of brings up the age. Uh, the age is such an issue, too. Have you been thinking about, I'm sure you have been thinking about it, how people like, um, you know, like, like what I was mentioning, um, uh, George W. Bush, you know, old, the older a man is, the more it was acceptable. I'm not saying that it was right, but it was more acceptable and accepted for men years ago to, you know, hug women and say dearie and do all the things that, you know, now lots of women are... are are uh, speaking out against as if it's the most the worst thing in the world. I mean, you know, that's really sad that we're going to create such an environment. We are creating, you know, especially by this floodgate opening, such a, a an environment where you can't even give like a, a man is going to be afraid to give a woman a hug um, for fear that she's going to cry sexual harassment. And these things are, you know, there's really a downside to all of this. And I think some of these women have just gone too far. Well, it's an interesting, uh, interesting question. And then also there's, there is the question of how, uh, the, how the courts can deal with this or if the courts can even deal with this type of phenomenon. You know, I mean, there, there are plenty of problems with all kinds of cases trying to uh, get the courts to function in a way that best serves, you know, justice and serves society. Um, and these are a particular challenge um, because of uh, the, the 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 often the case that you're relying uh, on two competing reports of the same events with uh, nothing but the uh, jury's um, tendency to believe one or the other uh, witness as the basis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well. Uh, there's the music I had a feeling was coming. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good point, place to take a break. When we come back, we will have more uh, thoughts about sexual harassment in general and the sexual harassment case of Puzz and, and Harvey Weinstein. And, and um, you know, perhaps you've been sexually harassed or, you, or you've been wondering whether you have or whether, you know, maybe you didn't come forward and now you're thinking you should. I, it's a, it's a really, well, we, I'm gonna, we'll have to take a break. We'll come back and talk about all these things some more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is Mr. Aaron Filler. Um, we're talking about sexual harassment, of course, so stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the 
experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. With me today is Mr. Aaron Filler. He is a triple threat, MD, PhD, and JD. Right now we're mainly looking at his JD hat, although now we're going to be talking about, um, he, well, he represents Paz de la Huerta on litigation against Lionsgate, and he also worked with her, as you've been hearing, and represented her in civil and criminal legal responses on her Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein rape allegations. So now um, we're going to talk about Lionsgate, and there's a very interesting contrast uh, between that and Harvey Weinstein. So why don't you take it away? <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Carol. So um, when, a, when sometimes I imagine in considering how a jury could ever decide on one of these he says, she says sexual assault cases, what if there was a camera, which is almost never going to be the case, and what would would that resolve it? So you wouldn't have to rely on what was said. And the, the odd thing here is that, you know, pauses in these two legal activities going on, the, the Weinstein matter and this Lionsgate matter. And one of the big pieces of the Lionsgate matter is that she was hit by a stunt vehicle on the set. Now, um, we have first the script for the movie, of course, that was being uh, shot. And you can see from the script that there's no mention of any stunt that day. And they really don't deny it's what they call an unscripted stunt, meaning secret from the actress. Hmm. Um, and um, she doesn't expect it. Um, there's no reason she should. And they don't really cont- um, claim anything other than it. It's a little hard to explain, explain why they did this. Um, but what you see is um, the, the little clapboard comes down saying Lionsgate, the name of the film. The cameras start to run. The director gives an order to commence. 
Paz comes walking out the door. And by the way, you can see this video online, either on uh, TMZ, if you look up Paz de la Huerta, Lionsgate, or TMZ or Daily Mail um, websites. It's a one-minute video. Um, and the movie cameras are running, and they've been pre-positioned um, so that when the truck or the ambulance first comes onto the scene, they're actually completely blocked by it. But it then turns sharply, and now the camera is looking straight down the side of this ambulance racing towards her, and you hear the engines getting louder and louder as it's getting faster and faster. And you see it, you're watching down the side of the ambulance as it zooms towards her on the set and hits her, and she flies through the air, suffers an impact, and gets a spine fracture on movie camera. And this video is available. Now, now, um, in this movie, she plays a nurse, and they're standing in front of the emergency room at a hospital. So why... What was the point of the um, ambulance coming so close to her? I mean, let's, well, let's, let's try to assume, I mean, I don't know if you give them the benefit of the doubt that they weren't trying to kill her, but if well, you do give them <laughs> the benefit of the doubt of that, what, what was the point of, for, for, for the movie? You know, what, why, how is that going to help the movie to make the ambulance go so close to her? Right, it had no dramatic purpose. Um, and when they talk about, so in a worker's compensation situation, you get injured at work, then say, well, I think my boss hit me on purpose. And then they even want to know, well, was, did the company ratify, did the company support the, the boss's plan, a plan to hit you? And it's just not, it sounds ridiculous. But in this case, they've rented this ambulance. They've got a stunt driver. They've set up fake rain to get it really wet. <laughs> rain is going. And they've positioned cameras. So, a lot of people know this is about to happen, everybody except for the actress. And, but, so there are two couple of points here, but relevant to the question I was just discussing about how you assess truth in a sexual assault claim, mm-hmm. here it is. You have running cameras, movie cameras, looking directly at the incident, and you see it happen. Um, and yet, Lionsgate has come into court with a couple of defenses of this. Firstly, to say, you know what, you can't, you have no cause of action here because it's artistic expression, freedom of expression. And, you know, they kind of got stopped on that. The judge said, yeah, I mean, once you hit somebody with an ambulance, it goes beyond artistic expression. But more interestingly is they say she alleges, she avers, she claims that she fell down when an ambulance went by her. Yet you can see this thing heads straight for her and knocks her flying through the air. And the court tends to just look at what's in the pleading. They don't want to go look at some video. Hmm. And so, and they make decisions and have made decisions based on what Lionsgate tells them their side of the story without looking even to the facts. And so even when you imagine a movie camera running and lights and everything on, the, on a sexual assault, you're still going to be in the situation of having to, uh, the court trying to make decisions based on what each side has to say. And um, how does a jury um, make those decisions? I mean, we all bring uh, with us uh, certain uh, biases um, and beliefs. Um, I think a lot of times uh, juries uh, try to jurors try to put themselves in the situation of the person telling uh, the um, of the events. You know, what, what would they have done? Does it sound like how they would act? Or is this something that they don't think they would do or they don't think that person would do? Um, and all of that has to come together and work and then be supported by as many facts as possible. And this is really 
what the uh, district attorney's office is facing in New York. As they say, they when in defense of their not going forward on the Gutierrez case, we don't want to put um, a victim through all the difficulty of a criminal trial when we feel we're not going to win. You know, we don't want yeah. to put them through that unless we're sure that even though they may not have a personal gain, at least the um, perpetrator is likely to be convicted. Uh, and that's, but that that's was what the case where they with. even had, that was the recording, right? They had that the recording from 2015. So, I mean, that's almost, so it's not quite as good as the video of Paz on the Lionsgate set, but, um, but it's better than just a he said, she said. So, I mean, and what do you even, think about their not going forward with that? Yeah, he even, Weinstein on the tape actually admits groping her. Hmm. He admits it. So you have an admission. You have this whole modus operandi. It was that's why it was very controversial that they decided not to go forward. And you know maybe um, you know they can say, well, it was more minor. It was groping, and you know we didn't want to uh, run up this whole event. Um, but um, yeah, it does. It, it left a lot of frustration with the police, um, and uh, certainly uh, trying to advise. Um, pause as an attorney going into this, um, you know, it certainly poses a lot of, a lot of concern and, and, and worry. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we had a chance to, to think about these factors um, and reach a conclusion that um, there was, it was compelling, it was a compelling set of evidence and supporting uh, corroborating information um, so that, um, you know, we uh, decided to go forward and contact the police, and um, you know we didn't know w- whether there would be you know 85 criminal cases. Um, uh, we didn't know if they would um, find our semblance of evidence to be compelling, um, and but that's what happened. I mean, they the police said this is the one case that they found is very compelling, and they were very convinced by it. And um, as far as we know. Um, that's still the opinion of the district attorney and the police, but we really don't know. We don't know what they're, what's going to go forward. You know, it, it might, um, I mean, it's probably already creating a lot of dissension uh, between the DA's office, you know, this DA who's received money from Weinstein and probably a promise of more. And, uh, and you know, his attorney, Brathman, um, is the one who, defended, um, I forgot his name, but the dignitary who was accused by the maid in the hotel of rape. I think, yeah. And so he kind of is used to doing this thing, and he did manage to get, or what, do you remember what the, what was, I mean, he got the case dismissed, right? Well, there was a very small punishment. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I mean, I think they just, um, they just, uh, raised uh, concerns about the truthfulness of the uh, accuser. Yes, and I think that was actually, uh, I think that was reasonable <laughs> to, uh, to raise concerns about that. But I mean, but in the end, the, the person who he was defending, the alleged rapist, um, do you remember what, did he get any punishment? No, I think the case, um, well, let's take a look at uh, Strauss-Klein, I think. Um, yeah, no, I think it just, it ended up, uh, end up, the case being uh, dropped. Just dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, but then he had a lead. There, there was a good movie, um, or it was an S- SVU uh, episode. There was something on television that re- resembled it, you know, that was based, loosely based on it. Um, but, you know, yeah, this, Domin- Dominique Strauss-Kahn. That's the, that's yeah, there the we go. 
Yeah. yeah. And uh, let's see, I guess um, just so we can uh, state state this uh, correctly, but the case was dismissed. Yeah. Uh huh. And, you know, one of the other things, talking about juries, one of the other things that they take into consideration, and some people on the jury um, think this way more than others, but, you know, they question the women, the woman's, uh, how is the woman dressed? How many boyfriends has she had in the past? Um, did she, did she um, seduce this person? Was it really, it wasn't really rape or it wasn't really sexual harassment? She, you know, this was on purpose, and that's one of the other things that they look at, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting at, at uh, depositions. Um, I've looked at a lot of videos of depositions in sexual harassment cases, and these women, some of the women, uh, again, it is oftentimes true that, in fact, they, it is the, that it was sexual harassment. But sometimes um, these women, whether it's true or not, they come to the deposition wearing, and I know, I'm sounding so, uh, I'm, all, all the feminists are going to be um, uh, blocking, you know, <laughs> doing whatever. To, but like, you know, still, if you're a woman, it, whether this, the, your allegations of sexual harassment are true or not, you, you know, you should have enough <laughs> brains to not come into a deposition wearing a, um, like a V-neck sweater that goes all the way where you can practically see your boobs or, and skirts, you know, all the way up. I mean, you want to at least pretend that you have some degree of modesty to you if, um, if, uh, if you're trying to sway the other side to believe that you were sexually harassed by your boss or something. Right. So, I mean, well, it's, it's the extent to which the, the legal proceeding is, has some theater to it, which I think people should understand. Um, yeah. That's an interesting uh, issue when you see it because some people aren't thinking about this sometimes. Yes, yes. And that's not to say that if a woman dresses like that, that she you know, wanted to be sexually harassed by any means, uh, that she was asking for it, as they say. But, but still, it just <laughs> her, her attorney should have done better at preparing her. <laughs> right, it's, be- it's because you're going to have 12 different jurors maybe watching the video, um, and there are going to be some that are going to read it the wrong way. That's what right. it is. And other people say, well, I have a right to dress how I want, and it shouldn't affect how I get treated. Right. Which is true, but it might affect one juror, which could make all the difference. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Aaron Filler. Um, I want to, I will, people can, there are many websites that uh, giving all of your many um, uh, degrees and awards and um, patents and all kinds of things. So I'll just give out one, which is www.tensorlaw.com. That's T-E-N-S-O-R-Law.com. Thank you again very much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 